let's let's pray and we'll get right into First um, Thessalonians. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. And Lord, as we enter into Thessalonians, God, I ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, illuminate the meaning of the text. Lord, help us to understand uh, what was said and, and recorded in context. And Lord, may we see and draw applications to our own life as we work through this text. Uh, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that you're working in our midst now. Uh, Father, I pray for each person who's listening now that you would open up uh, their spiritual eyes, that they would understand uh, what is being said in this text. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so First Thessalonians, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. We're, we're really only going to look at verse 1 <clears throat> this week. I, I'll probably be going very slowly through Thessalonians so we can really focus and, and grab hold of what's being said here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray, amen. Okay, so right here in the first first verse, the way um, ancient literature worked, this was a letter that that, uh, Paul wrote. And so instead of signing your name at the very bottom of the letter, the way uh, people in the ancient days did it is they, they identified themselves very, in the very front. And so we see here Paul and Silas and Timothy. So these are the three individuals that are writing the letter. As we go through this letter, it's very personal. We'll learn more, and, and today we'll, we'll get a glimpse of, of what happened. But so the, we know that the author is Paul, and he's sending this letter uh, to them, on, on the behalf of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And who is he writing to? Well, that's the, the second part of verse 1. So we read, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you, grace to you and peace. And so he says, okay, this letter is to the church in Thessalonica and... Um, he talks about their position, which we'll, 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 we'll look at a little bit later. But the question is like, okay, Thessalonica, that's not a town that many of us know of. It's a town that exists today. It's in, it's in modern-day Greece. Uh, it's in Europe. It's, it's, uh, this, this is a, a very, um, this was uncharted territory for Paul uh, during his earthly, during his, his ministry, his earthly ministry. Paul only had an earthly ministry. Um, so to, to learn the story about what happened and how this church came into existence, we have to go back 
to Acts chapter 15. Uh, and I need to figure out how much to read. I don't want to... Acts is such a thrilling... Um, it's such a thrilling book. It's, this, it's, a, it's, a, it's a historical narrative sort of talking about the explosion of the church and, and what happened following Christ's ascension. You know, after he was, we ended in Mark with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then the story continues. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes and, and, and dwells himself into, the, into the, the church, which are believers. And from there, uh, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, went out to the to the known world. It's still happening today. We're a part of this story. And so in uh, Acts chapter 15, I turn to John chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, sort of the setting, as as you, um, I'm not going to read it all, but the, the first 29 verses of Acts chapter 15 um, so Paul is now in the story. Paul is, is a great Jewish man. He was the most pedigreed of all, all of the disciples or the apostles. Paul had all of the credentials. He, he, um, you, you, you couldn't be more credentialed than Paul. And God used Paul, this man who was a persecutor of the church, he, he grabbed hold of him uh, and he used him to be the, the Jewish agent to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as the gospel was going out amongst the Gentiles, there was tension, uh, a debate about how do these Gentile converts, how do they fit into the redemptive historical plan of God throughout the whole of the Bible, you have the Jewish people, their great rich history, their traditions and the things that they were doing. And, and here comes Paul and he's reaching the Gentiles and they don't do things that the Jewish people do, namely circumcision. This isn't so much an issue today in our culture, but it was a huge deal for them. And so um, basically as Paul would share the gospel and and talk about God's grace. There were, he was not requiring these Gentile uh, people to then uh, be indoctrinated into Jewish culture and, and traditions and things like circumcision. And so often as Paul went into these areas, uh, as he paved the, sort of the, paved the way in his wake, these Judaizers who didn't know Christ really, who um, some of them did, some of them didn't, but they were so steeped in their tradition, they would then go behind Paul and sort of undo the gospel of grace. And they would say, well, if you really want to be saved, you need to sort of become part of our club, become Jewish and be circumcised and do all of these things so that you will be acceptable to God. And so Paul had a really difficult time with this. And so Paul challenged this. And this all comes to a head in chapter 15 of Acts. And, and chapter 15 of Acts is often referred to as the Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem Council. And so in this council, you have all of the heavy hitters of the early church. You have uh, the apostles, you have uh, you know, Jesus' brother. They're all sort of re- really having this heated, this heated discussion over 
what they're to do, how they're to respond. And, and so Paul debates, uh, Barnabas debates, and they, they finally make a compelling case, and they sort of, um, they reach an agreement. And so in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 23, well, let's, verse 22, we read this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas, and Silas, so that's Silas, the, the gentleman that is in the introduction of Thessalonians, um, leading men amongst the brethren. And so then, uh, uh, verse 23, and they sent this letter by them. And so they, from verses 23 to 29, there's this letter, an epistle, this, this letter that they penned together. They made multiple copies, and then they were to send the men out to, to, to the churches to, to let them know what they've concluded. And so they've, um, in verse 28, it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. And so... Basically, this compromise was was reached. This uh, what they were all struggling. Like the the conscience of the Greek believer was very different than the conscience of the Jewish believer in Christ, and and so they they reduced it to these three things, and they said, okay, to the Gentile, you have freedom to participate in these things, but for the sake of not offending or being a distraction to the Jewish believers or those who potentially would become believers would you sort of restrict your freedoms? And so this was a huge, as far as Paul was concerned, this was a, a huge uh, victory. This, that, that he has, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's unity within the church. They had understanding and clarity so that Paul, as he went out, he could um, kind of speak with the authority of the church um, in Jerusalem. And, and now... Um, Verse 36 of chapter 15, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so Paul looks at Barnabas and they've already had one missionary journey. They traveled all through what is modern day Turkey and they planted these churches. They did all kinds of work there, uh, like the book, the letter Ephesians that we have. Um, they, they went through that region. They said they planted all these churches. And now that they have this letter, Paul looks at Barnabas and he says, Hey, let's go back. Let's go on what would be, what we know is the second missionary journey. So let's go visit these believers that we develop these relationships with. Let's, um, encourage them with the news that has come out of, out of Jerusalem, that these, these people that they reach, they're Gentiles. They're not Jewish believers in large part. And so Paul wants to go out with his breaking news to, um, to, sh- to share the good news, he says, um, and also to see how they're doing. So we see the pastoral heart of Paul saying, you know, I just want to go check in with them. Barnabas gets all excited, and they're like, yeah, let's go. Let's start packing our bags. Let's, like, it's a road trip. Let's go back. Let's go see all of these people. And then Barnabas says, I'll go get John Mark. Yeah, Mark, the one that we just read the gospel about and Paul basically is like, whoa, time out. I didn't say anything about Mark. 
And this becomes uh, what's known as this, this sharp disagreement. Um, we read verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gotten with them to work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And so um, th- 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 this is great tension. We don't, there's, great, there's great discussion, there's great debate over what happened. Uh, some think that Mark quit on Paul. They got, you know, this, the, the missionary life wasn't easy. They faced a lot of persecution. Some, some think that Mark um, basically fled them. And, well, we know that he deserted them. We just don't know the why he deserted them, whether it was like a lack of character or uh, he didn't have the resiliency to, to, to press through difficulty or did he get sick. Um, we don't know. But clearly Paul was not happy with it. Uh, Barnabas, who's this like encouraging guy, and it's and it's also his cousin. He wanted to take him along, and and, and basically Barnabas and Paul couldn't reach agreement. And sometimes Christians can't reach agreement on issues, and and so what they decided to do is that Barnabas went and he got Mark, and they went to Cyprus. Now the the Bible doesn't follow that story, and so they went on, but then Paul decides that he's going to take Silas, this guy that we keep reading about. And so he grabs Silas, and he takes the Paul and Silas head out on this journey, and they begin their way up north. So if you're looking at Israel, you go north on the map, up through, um, just you know, up, up north uh, to Antioch, where the, the headquarters of the church was at that time. They would go up and around and then make their way into Turkey. And so they go all the way through modern-day Turkey, turning the page into Acts chapter 16. And so in Acts chapter 16, we read that Paul also came to Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. And so now we're introduced to Timothy. And so in the beginning uh, verses here of the, the first 10 verses of, of Acts chapter 16, which we will read, um, it, it shares the story about how they acquired Timothy and that Timothy sort of joined their, their missionary team. So in verse 1 we read, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, and they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so here you have young Timothy. So what do we know about him? We, we know historically that his mother and his grandmother loved the Lord. They, they raised him. There seems to be belief that, that Timothy's father was absent, whether it was likely it was death. But so Timothy was sort of raised in these two worlds. He was raised by these Jewish women who loved God, um, as and and then he was also a, a Gentile, so he was uncircumcised. And Paul says, "Okay, this young man loves the Lord; he's zealous for the Lord." The, the irony is, they're delivering this letter that says the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. But Paul says, "You know what? Let's Timothy, let's circumcise you, just so we can remove this barrier." And so it, it always has fascinated me that that sometimes you do things that you um, that you do not because you have to. Uh, you, you do just because you got to pick your battles. 
And so uh, that's kind of like even in, in life today where, where we are right now, I, um, we're meeting outside. Do I think that we have every legal right and freedom to gather as a, as a congregation within the building? I, I do. Like I, I really truly do. Um, I'm not afraid to necessarily um, go against the government and civil disobedience, but I also, um, and there are times when I have and would again go against civil disobedience, but it's not done lightly. And so this on Monday, when I heard that all the businesses were shutting down, it wasn't like being singled out for singing. It's like, okay, so we can either meet in the church and sort of be civilly disobedient. I'm sure the laws will sort it out. I'm not sure that it would be illegal. Or we could move outside. And so it's like going to be a pain to move outside. And it's like, you know what, let's just pick our battles. And, and to me, it seems like at this point, Going outside is it's it it's it's it seems like it's the more appropriate thing to do, and so I I'm just like relating this all to Timothy's circumcision. He literally is joining Paul and Silas, who are carrying a letter saying that you don't have to get circumcised, and then Paul has delivered this news to these people in Turkey, and he says, "Okay, Timothy, I want you to come with me, but we need to circumcise you." And I could just see Timothy going, "Do we really have to do this?" And apparently. Uh, Paul says, you know what, there's a big Jewish population and it would really help our ministry in reaching the, of the, it would help our ministry of reaching the Gentiles if we can work with the Jews. And so please, like, I need you to get circumcised. So that happens. Um, verse four, now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for the, for them to observe uh, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So if you're following this on a map, if you can imagine Turkey, the country of Turkey, they're, they're making their way from the east heading to west, sort of like in a, in a northern, in a northern westerly direction. And what it seems like is that Paul actually wanted to go north into, to Asia, uh, what we know is like China and Mongolia, these, these, those regions sort of up in that area. But we're told that the Spirit of God kept stopping them from going that direction and kept pointing them west, pointing them west, pointing them west. And then they get to the very far western edge of, of what we know as modern-day Turkey uh, to, to a place called Troas. And so while they're there, uh, we turn, we, we read to verse 9, and we see that a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so here, Paul, in this dream, this is also the, the, the place in Acts, a little fun fact, where, uh, where Acts goes from like um, somebody not being there to using the word us. And so we believe that Luke, at this point, picks up with Paul, and he's now journeying with Paul. And so... Paul at Troas has this vision, this man from Macedonia. This is like a Greek man. This is a European. 
not somebody from Turkey. The gospel has never made it to, to Europe. And so in today's story, when we look at the founding of, of Thessalonica, this, this is really, this is the moment when the gospel made it to Europe, which is amazing. And, and so Paul in this dream is seeing this vision of this Greek guy like pleading with Paul, come help us, come help us, come help us. And it's like they needed help, but they don't know what the answer is. And I look at our, our community and our world today that's so living in fear. And we're calling out to the doctors, to the politicians, help us, help us, help us. But what we as a people need is we need Jesus. And so here Paul is grappling with this. He wanted to go right, and the Spirit of God is forcing him to go left. And then he has this vision of this people who are in desperate need, crying out for help. And when he'd seen the vision, immediately we, so here we, Luke is now here writing in the first person plural. It shifts from they to us, and now we see that Luke is with them, the author of Acts. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. This is modern-day Greece. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so they get in a boat they make their way to Europe. They, they, they touch land. Um, verses um, 11 through 40, we see them make their journey uh, to Europe. Um, in this journey, so 11 through 40, I'm not going to read all of this to you, but they go through a number of cities. Um, the, the main city that they go to is, is Philippi. And they go into Philippi. There's no temple. There's no, not temple, there's no synagogue there. They, they didn't have enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. And so then Paul goes down to the river to find a group of ladies praying who were Jewish in their disposition. And so Paul goes there, he shares the gospel, develops this wonderful relationship with uh, these people in Philippi. They become Christians. Um, this, we, during the shutdown, I did the devotional through Philipp, Philipp, Philippians. And, and so we see this, 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 this deep, rich relationship with them. And in, in, in Philippians, we see at one point after Paul leaves Philippians, he goes to Thessalonica. And when he's there, we're told that the, the Philippian church sends Paul money on two times while, while they're there. It's about a hundred mile difference. Uh, in Philippians or Philippi, Paul goes through, he's sharing the gospel, great things are done, and he ends up getting arrested and thrown into jail. And they try to whisk him away at night, and he says, no, 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 I'm a Roman citizen, and I have rights, and you're not going to throw, throw us into jail and kind of slip us out in the middle of the night. We want the leadership to come down here. And we see... Um, we see here Paul in like civil disobedience and, and standing on privileges that he had as, as a Roman citizen, which, which is it's like the tension that we're in right now. The highest law of our land is the Constitution. And the very first point of, of uh, you know, is that we have a right to assemble and, and our whole country. And so here we are as Christians trying to like navigate rights and we're American Christians. That's the reality. And so we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we navigate the rights that we have honoring Christ and trying to honor men all at the same time. It's not an easy road. And so in this situation in Philippi, finally Paul says he puts down that he has rights 
and he forces them to come down, make a public thing, because he's doing this to protect the believers that were there, and then they move on. And so they eventually make their way to Thessalonica, which is about 100 miles away. And we come to where we have been trying to get today is to chapter 17. And so we're going to read the first, oh, 15 verses. We're going we're to look at the first 15 verses here. And, and then we'll go to Thessalonians. So in chapter 17, okay, so we're still, we're on the second missionary journey. Paul's made his way through Turkey. As he left with Silas, along the way, he's picked up uh, Timothy, and then he gets to Troas, and Luke, the author of, of uh, the Gospel of Luke and, and Acts, he joins them, and then they make their way across to Europe by boats. They go to Philippi, they plant this church. They have now made their way up to Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when they had traveled through, I should have a volunteer to read these names for me, uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Thessalonica, this is a huge city. Many of the towns that they've gone through, you either you had a couple of things like someone had a seaport that allowed them to kind of I think of Ephesus where there was a seaport that made it like a big city. Uh, Thessalonica had a huge port, so ships could come and go. But it also what it had was like the this this artery of a freeway that like a road that could take you basically anywhere. Um, it was like the major freeway. So Thessalonica, I think of a, a town like New York City, Boston on the East Coast, these, these huge cities that you can receive ships, get onto the trains or the freeways or whatever. I think of Los Angeles, major, major important city. And so they came to this city uh, where there was a synagogue to the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them for the scriptures, from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And so Paul's pattern, he always went to the Jews. So three weeks go by. Paul was a very important person um, in the Jewish world. And so he would have been able to walk in and then preach to the, uh, to the Jewish people. And so we see for three weeks he's there uh, teaching them. We see his pattern that he's, he's reasoning with them. He's, he's causing them to think. He wants them to think through the things that are in the scriptures. Uh, this is why we go book by book through the Bible is we want to present the, the, the word of God to us in this way. Not topical message where Gunner's just coming up with ideas. We're, we're, we're grounded in the word of God here. We want the word of God and, and the Lord's spirit to, to lead us in how we do things. And so he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. He's explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So here, this Paul, who is the greatest persecutor of the church, who is having Christians arrested and thrown into jail, is now reasoning from the scriptures, showing them evidence that Jesus is the earthly name of uh, God, and his title is Lord for us. Christ means the Messiah. And so he's reasoning with him that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, saying 
this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. He's like, this Jesus which you heard about, he is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, verse 4, and joined Paul and Silas along with a a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So, so as Paul's reasoning over the three weeks, we see some Jews coming to Christ. We see some Greeks coming to Christ. Greeks who had sort of become Jewish, were partial to Judaism, had understood the theology of the, the monotheistic sort of understanding of the Jewish people compared and contrasted with the sort of the, um, the, the, the Greek way of thinking of thousands upon thousands of gods. And then in the midst of this, we see these leading women who are also a part of this. So this very eclectic crew are all coming to Christ, following after Paul. Verse 5, but the Jews, so the Jews who are not believing the message, who are sort of pushing back on Paul, became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Man, doesn't this sound familiar? This is like our day and age. Uh, we, 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 we've seen mobs. We've seen violence that happens with, when these things get going. And so these Jews get some of these men. We're told these wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. They are attacking the house of Jason. Now, who's Jason? Well, that's a great question. Who's Jason? According to Romans 16.21, he's mentioned there, some believe that Jason could have been like a distant relation, a, a distant relative of Paul. And they, we believe, we possibly, we, the Bible's not very clear, but we sort of speculate. And, and it's likely that when Paul went to Thessalonica, they could have stayed with Jason. It's clearly they were, they were staying with them. And it would make sense if Paul had some sort of relationship with him, like if he was a relative. And so they knew this. And so they go to his house they're attacking Jason's house. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. So they're looking for Paul. They're looking for Silas. They're looking for Timothy. They want to get these three men and, and Luke, but Luke's not really mentioned here, but, but, but wants to get them to bring them to this mob. And so when they did not find them, verse 6, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities shouting. So they get Jason. They get some other people. We don't know who these other people are. They drag them out. Uh, to the city authorities. Now, this city, Thessalonica, was a free city, which means that it had its own authority. It could do what it wanted, and it held its own justice and and sort of was very independent. And so they're trying to settle what's going on before these authorities. They begin shouting. These men who have upset the world, they had a reputation for sharing about Christ, and the word of Jesus had caused the whole world to uh, to, to turn upside down, or really, as I think of it, is to turn the world right side up. And they were not happy about it. He said, they've upset the whole world, verse 6, and they've come here also, verse 7, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And so clearly you see this Jewish um, theology that they understood about the Messiah, that he would be a king. And so they're, they're, they're stirring up this idea of civil disobedience. The Christian life has never been a, a simple life. The, the Christian life has never been one that has necessarily been in uh, unity with the, the secular government. We are called, of course, to be 
submitted to these authorities as those who have been appointed by God, but there's always tension because ultimately who we're submitting to is God. And so here they are again. They find themselves. They already got thrown out of Philippi. Now they're in Thessalonica. This huge uproar is going. It seems like every town that Paul finds himself in, he gets beat up, arrested. God frees him, and he goes on. The gospel is very upsetting and confusing to people. Our whole country, they don't understand why it's so important for us to gather. Why, why are Christians so intent on gathering? Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. And so then we see, verse 8, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and, they, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released him. So if we were to go over to Thessalonians, we'll get there eventually. But in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see that Paul wants to go back. Paul can't go back, but he sends Timothy. So we believe that the pledge that was made by Jason, he, he sort of was given a bond to let Paul go, and I'll promise that Paul won't come back to our town. And so it's because Timothy's allowed to come back. Uh, I think, I'm not sure about Silas. I, I forget if Silas or Timothy, but we, uh, from that, we'll get there. But Paul can't go, but Timothy can go. And so we believe that the pledge that Jason made is that Paul will leave our city and that he won't come back. And so Paul now has this love for this community, but he can't see them also. So much like the lockdown that when we couldn't see one or that longing to, to see and to fellowship in the flesh, uh, there's a deep pull for that. Verse 9, which we just read, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released him. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I always find this <clears throat> sort of two-sided. Um, the Bereans, great encouragement. You know, that they came, they, they listened to Paul, and where did they go? They went to the scriptures to see if what he was saying was accurate and true. It's been said that there's no, um, we don't have a, a book of the Bible called the Bereans uh, because they did this, and they stayed grounded in the word of God, and they, they heeded. Now that we're going through Thessalonians, the, there's a funny side to this. So the Bereans get this applause, but Luke records and says that, you know, these guys were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Just begs a whole lot of question. What does that mean about uh, those that we're going to read about? The verse 12, um, therefore many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. This is uh, the Bereans. But when the Jews of Thessalonica... So they're still on the warpath against Paul. They, Paul leaves, he goes to Berea, but they hear about this, and so they're going to go after Paul. So, But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remain there. So Silas and Timothy stay back. It seems like that they're after Paul. And so then Paul gets out. He makes his way. Uh, verse 15, now those who escorted Paul brought him out as far as Athens and then and receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. They left. 
And so then this story goes on to Athens and Mars Hill. You can go back to Thessalonians. So we see here the, uh, the, how this church came to be. Um, the two words that describe the letter of Thessalon- Thessalonians is adversity. These believers in Thessalonica received great persecution. The, the people of the city did not like them. They ran Paul out of town. They forbid Paul from coming back. And, so, and they received this great persecution and trials. And this is the Christian life. The Christian life isn't about hopscotching through life, trying to find the path of least resistance. Not that we're looking for trouble, but the reality is as we follow Christ, persecution is going to come because the world doesn't like Jesus, period. And so they found themselves facing resistance and so great, great affliction. The second the thing that we learn about this letter of Thessalonica, Thessalonians is that Paul continues to point their eyes to Christ and his second coming, that he will come again. And so when we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, just sort of looking at the introduction, we read Paul and Silas and Timothy. So now we know these three guys. Thessalonica was a town that didn't have the gospel. One day these three men rolled into town They went to the synagogue for three weeks and they began to share about the Messiah, that Jesus came, he lived, he died for us. He was buried and then he rose again for us. It's a gift that's been offered to us by grace. You receive salvation through faith, believing that what he did was for you and that's the message in which they told. And many believed And then these three guys were run out of town. And so the best that we understand is that as Paul made his way, eventually he got to Corinth. And it's believed that, that it's in this letter, he's in Corinth while the story in Acts is still unfolding. And then he writes this letter. And I believe it's that he sends Timothy. We'll get there. I just, I believe that chapter three, verse one. Well, now that I'm there, I'll just, I'll flip over. Um, Well, we'll get there later. I don't, it's not in my notes because I'm not really using my notes. But we see the deep relationship. Uh, my Bible's messed up in First Thessalonians. I remember one day I was in the car. I, Anna was somewhere, and I'm like, I'm going to read through Thessalonians, and it's, it's, a, it's an inductive Bible setting. It said, I go through and sort of mark up all the times you see like personal pronouns. And so my whole, I, I didn't realize how many, but every time you see like you, brethren, we, um, I was supposed to highlight it orange. And so now Thessalonians is all highlighted orange. I didn't think ahead. But there's so much intimacy. These, this church knew these, these three men. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians, and this word church, I have to address this. The word church is such a, a word that is misunderstood. I'm standing in a building, and many would say the church is the building. Um, Many now are making the case that, oh, the church is, you know, online streaming can be the church. Uh, many are saying you could watch it on TV. 
especially when I go on social media and I see comments by non-believers about, you know, the have now become the greatest theologians explaining what the church is or isn't. It, it, it's maddening at best. The word church in the Greek, literally, it means gathering or assembly. So the church occurs when individuals who have given their life to Christ gather together. In this case, the local church. So we see the church of the Thessalonians. So those who had received Christ in Thessalonica, when they gathered or assembled together, that's the church. That's why gathering physically is so important. We are the church here in Valley Center, and so we're going to gather Sunday morning, and I'm excited about that. Um, I think that the better word for church is congregation, because it, like, it, it's another translation of the Greek word is like congregation. To congregate means to gather, to assemble. Now, I understand, don't, like I realize I'm speaking online, so, so don't, like I understand the unique concerns of today. That's why I'm making this video. Um, that's why we're putting out the videos of church online because of the unique circumstances. Um, videoing, putting stuff out, I don't know that it's something that I believe that I want to do once we're free to come back. Um, but it's something I'm grappling with because through this, the thing is I, I realize that it's our gathering together is, is, is the church and that is the most important thing uh, in the Bible, that we're called to do is to gather and to do certain things, like take communion with one another together, uh, baptize people together, encourage one another together. And so to the church in Thessalon- of the Thessalonians, in God, literally grounded, rooted in God, the Father and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have the Lord's title, Jesus is his earthly name. Lord is who he is to us. Christ is his, his fulfillment of being the Messiah. And that we're grounded, rooted in. That's where our life comes from. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we want life, we have to be rooted and grounded in the Father. And he says, grace to you, a very common uh, Roman word, a very common Roman greeting, peace, a very common Jewish greeting, shalom. Grace and peace are only available to us through Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's pray. Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will continue to give us wisdom as a, as a body. Lord, help us uh, to navigate these times. I do pray for each person that's watching this, that you would help them to understand what Christ did on their behalf and that they would receive him by faith Uh, so that they could have eternal life. Lord, we love you. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us as we work our way through Thessalonians, uh, that we would learn about affliction and how to navigate it, that we would uh, be encouraged and long for uh, the return of Christ in the second advent. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen. All right, Lord bless you all. Have a great week.